0: Joe, by the way, I'll forgive you. Um, you forgot Patriots fan. There's some of us here that are Patriots fans from New England, so... It's a good thing Rachel didn't catch you either. She's a 49ers fan. Don't ask me what happened. We always have that one rebellious child in our family, so... Like, like, There's so much going on. I feel like I've been gone for months and it was only a week and thank you for your cards of encouragement as we were away. Uh, At PJ's mom's funeral last weekend and so I thank you for that and for your good care of the Picanados. Um, I heard good things um, from them as well, so appreciate that. But I don't know if you realize this or not, but we are actually halfway through 2 Corinthians. I know some of you are saying, Charlie, it seems like we've been in there for a long time. I can see some of you nodding your heads, yes. But you know what? It's a great book of the Bible. There's a lot in there, right? I mean, as we've been studying week after week, and maybe you missed a week or two, and I'm going to try to help catch you up this morning as we kind of work through it real quick and get up to speed. Um, obviously, you can read it for yourselves. Second Corinthians uh, is a, an easy read as far as uh, the flow of things and, and the things, but it's helpful to have some of that background. And as we've mentioned, Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and is this the second letter that Paul's written to? No. 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 All right. Some of you are awake and paying attention, right? It's most likely the third letter or maybe even the fourth letter. And there was a visit in between as well. Um, So hence why we don't normally do 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians right back to back because we lose that span of time, right? There's, There's a gap in between the letters. And as churches do, I know this may come into a shock at some of you, they change, right? They change over time. People come, people go... Uh, things change, and hopefully and prayerfully churches mature, right? And if you remember back in 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. They were, you know, if you had to pick a church out of Thessalonica or Macedonia or any of the other churches, they were kind of the problem child. They, they had a lot of things that were wrong in what they did in their practice, in their immaturity, but Corinth was a tough place. I mean, you can give them a little bit of, of leeway because t- Corinth was one of those central places where people gathered and, and there was like crossroads. It was a port city and there was a lot of false teaching in the area and there was a lot of idols in the area and so it was a difficult place. The culture around them was not good. Sound familiar? I mean many of us face that today, right? Our, our culture is not Christian anymore. It works against us in many ways and so Paul plants this church there as a beacon and they have struggles. And again, backdrop to second Corinthians, Paul has to face a problem. Paul had told them that he would go and visit them, right? We, we read about that. He, he had plans. He had the heart. He wanted to see them, but God changed his plans. He went to Macedonia and back and he didn't stop in. And some of the church leaders of the time questioned his commitment, they questioned his integrity, in fact they got upset with him, and that caused a rift between them, and so Paul is trying to reconcile himself back to this church. Again, if you wanted to pick a theme, especially for the first seven chapters, it's about reconciliation, right? Paul also mentions right there, if you remember from 1 Corinthians, there was this immoral brother, right? They threw him out of the church. Rightfully so. He was in sin, and they needed to address that church discipline. But he had repented and come back, and the church didn't receive them. And Paul rebukes them and says, no, you need to receive him back now as a brother. And we talked a lot about that, about having that open heart, right, for a reconciliation, right? It's not enough just to forgive somebody, but to reconcile that relationship, to, to walk in that. And sometimes that's a harder process than just easily forgiving someone. There's a whole sermon there. I'm gonna try to stay out of that, but it's a temptation. Paul also addressed some of the other things that were going on, right? There was idolatry in the land, there was things that were going on, and he says, Hey, you as a church are called to be separate. Right? And we talked a lot about that, right? That sanctification process as we grow, we can't be separate from the world. Not that we're not in the world, but we are to be separate, right? We can't look like the world. We need to look like Christ's ambassadors. Joe, you Led into that, that was out of 2 Corinthians as well, right? Paul calls us ambassadors. And we're to represent Christ in all that we do, and that's important. And so that all leads us up to where we are here today, and that being separate kind of ties into chapter 7. So if you've missed, you're now caught up. We're all together now, and as we look at chapter 7, Paul's getting into the letter more and more, and he's addressed the original problem, and he's reminding them about the relationship that he has with them and the reconciliation that he wants to have with them. And now what do you do with that? Right? How does that look in practice? And so Paul addresses them here. So chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, and therefore it's been what we've just been talking about, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, <clears throat> let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates, contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Right? Paul's saying, hey, you need to be separate, right? But you need to shed off some things. I know some of you have been believers for a long time. Sometimes we forget about when we first became believers, right? We had to get rid of some stuff, right? We probably had some bad habits or some things that we struggled with and we needed to get rid of them. Whether it's an addiction, whether it's maybe some friends that weren't good influences, maybe there were some habits that we had that weren't godly and we needed to get rid of those. And Paul's calling that for, in order to be clean, right? You need to sometimes shed off some of those things. Transversely, in Colossians, he even talks about that, right? That putting off and putting on. There's a, there's a great read there in chapter 3 if you want to go back and look at that. But Paul's probably thinking of that when he's talking about that, about being separate, right? And I love it here. In verse 1, he already gives us the reason, right? Not just because Paul said so, not just because we need to look good, Right? But why? What's the reason for it? It's out of reverence for God. Because of our relationship with Christ, we're to look different. Right? It's out of that reverence, that respect. Again, if you're an ambassador, you're representing that person, and so out of respect for that person, you need to be godly. And that's what he's saying here. He's just reminding them of that over and over again. But how does that play out? How does that look, right? He said, all right, Pastor, I got that. We, I've been believer for a long time, and I've gotten rid of some things. And again, I'm, uh, I'm walking with the Lord, and I'm doing pretty good at this point. How does that look? How does that play out? How does that work out in our day-to-day lives? Well, Paul's going to make reference to it here, at least some of it. Um, verse 2, he says, make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've, we have corrupted no one, nor have we exploited anyone." I do not say this to condemn you. I have said this before, that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. You hear Paul's heart here, right? He's saying how this plays out is that reconciliation of relationship. Right? Right? If you're going to be like Christ, you have one of the many to reconcile relationships. That's just one of the many ways that we represent Christ and we look like Christ is how we interact with each other. Interestingly, that nothing's changed in almost 2,000 years, right? We, we have conflicts in churches. Right? Elders are shocked. I know. It's, it's hard to believe, right? No. Right? Again, we don't look for them. We don't try to force them, obviously, in any way, shape, or manner, but they happen. And then we have to spend a great deal of time of reconciling that relationship and working through that. And I, I love the picture here of, hey, persevere in that. Keep working at that. Yesterday I was teaching a, a class over at Heritage for the Fatherhood Challenge, and we were talking about marriage relationships. Uh, Why they asked me to speak on that, I'm not quite sure. I'm still working on that on a daily basis. But we were talking about conflict in relationships, and especially with our spouses, and then how does that work, right? It's easy to forgive them, but how do you reconcile the relationship? How do you continue on with that? And It was interesting. We spent quite a bit of time, and we actually were talking about love languages, and again, I don't want to go down that whole path, but that is part of it. Of being married is reconciling that relationship and keeping it on short accounts. Closing that circle from the time that one upsets the other till you're reconciled and things go forward. We also talked about love and what that looks like. But Paul wants to reconcile with this church. You can see that in his heart. And he says, Hey, I've spoken directly to you, but he's done it out of love and care. Sometimes in relationship, if we could be honest, right, we have to have those hard conversations. Right? Now, many of you know I'm from New England, and, and one of the things that, that we get accused of in being back east, that we're very direct. Right? We, we don't, nice, we don't, we don't always smile. We're, we're pretty straightforward, and sometimes cause offense, and I have to work on being softer in that and not coming across that way, but it has its advantages at times, when you have a difficult conversation, to be direct. Beating around the bush doesn't often help, right? Or trying to soften the blow, and you lose some of the meaning. And again, it's a balance there. I haven't perfected it by any means, and still God's working on that. But Paul's saying, here, I spoke frankly to you, right? He did. He spoke very directly to them. He told them when they were wrong, and he told them when they were right. And he did it out of love. And so he's reminding of that relationship that's here. But he also sees that there's a change. It's starting to come around. And so that's why I think you see here where Paul's talking about his joy in his heart. Again, it's not the whole church, but there's a few that are still upset with him, but it's coming around as the whole church, and so he's rejoicing in that. And it's going to show up in their actions here. Verse 5. Is for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Man, talk about a relatable verse, huh? Right? Have you ever had that? Conflicts on the outside, fear inside? Right? We try to put up a good front sometimes, right? But if we we're honest, we, we have fears, we have concerns. We're, we're a mess on the inside, right? We can weather the storm sometimes, but if we're honest with ourselves, we have some doubt, we have some fear, and we struggle with that. And Paul is saying that's how it was in Macedonia. It was a struggle. They knew they were supposed to be there. They knew what they were supposed to be doing, yet they were under attack. And they even doubted within themselves. Verse 6, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by coming by the coming of Titus. And not only by his comfort and his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my chapter 1 was greater than ever. I purposely left out, remember in chapter 1, Paul talked about that comfort. I mean, you remember that, right? Comfort, what's some of the reason that God gives us comfort? For others. Steve got it. Good job. Right? God allows us to be comforted in order that we can give that comfort to others, right? It's probably a reminding here back to chapter 1. That that comfort's uh, something that we need, right? It brings us peace. And sometimes we go through things, certain experiences, in order that we can walk alongside someone else, and that brings them comfort. Sometimes it's just being there, right? Being present with them. But that comfort, he's saying, and he says, not only did you comfort, you comforted someone dear to us here. He's talking about Titus. You showed them, you showed Titus how much you love him. Any pastor wants to have that, right? He wants his church to have that that place of safety and comfort, but also to be able to do it when in his absence. And I I can say this with, with great joy myself, that last week you folks did a great job welcoming Mike. Mike Pecanato, he he mentioned how great you were to him, how welcoming. Uh, It's one of the things that Point Way is known for, for being a welcoming church. And so I commend you for that. And again, that's one of those characteristics that Paul is looking for here in this church. And he says, this brings me great joy to know that you took care of one of of our own, right? Took care of one of the brothers coming through. Titus is the up-and-coming teacher. We see that. Later on, when Paul writes to Titus, right, he, he's setting him up as pastor. He's going to become one of Paul's protégés or his mentee that's going to be going forward after Paul leaves. Timothy and Titus are two of those men. Verse 8 it says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorrow, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, as so not harmed in any way by us. Again, Paul's reiterating back and forth, right? There's this other letter that we don't have, that letter that's in between these, obviously was probably pretty direct, and it hurts some people, right? Sometimes people, even when they speak truth to us, it kind of cuts us, right? It, it hurts, Sometimes. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like receiving criticism. Am I, am I the only one that doesn't like receive criticism? Yeah, I think we're honest. We all struggle with that a little bit, but sometimes we need to hear that, right? We, we need to, we if, if you love me, or you care about me, you're going to tell me that I'm doing something wrong so that I don't continue to do it. And so Paul here knows that he hurt them, and, I, and the, the, the first response, or at least my first response is when someone criticizes me, is either to defend, right, or dismiss, I call it. Defend or dismiss, right? I'll dismiss the person. I jokingly say, consider the source, right? Well, that's not always helpful. That's more of a deflection, right? But if it's something that's spoken in truth and it's really something I need to work on, if I wrestle with with God, God speaks to me, and again, it causes me sorrow that I've hurt somebody in my actions, right? That's what Paul's saying here. If it brought me to repentance, if I did some self-examination and God really spoke to me and the Holy Spirit did his work and I have to repent because I've sinned against somebody. That's what he's saying here, that sorrowful repentance. It's a key word in this and you're going to see this over and over again. Verse 10 kind of pulls it all together and it's one of those verses I have highlighted and underlined in my Bible because I need to go back to it often, but it says, Godly sorrow brings Repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And Why I have that underlined is because it's a reminder, right? Sometimes when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling under attack, right? Maybe it's self-inflicted. Maybe it's something that I need to do some work. I need to repent. I'm caught in a sin or I'm caught in a, a way that's not pleasing to God don't be misled here that that word salvation here just means delivered from that right just just taken out of not talking about our salvation as far as in Christ it's a, it's more of a deliverance deliverance from the the place that we're at right bringing us around and it leaves no regret and then the obviously the contrast in the world right you know, we we play that Often when we're talking with people, right, some people are, someone bumps into you, they say they're sorry, right, or, or you, you catch your, your kid taking a cookie when you told them not to cookie, they're, they're sorry, oh, mommy, daddy, I'm sorry. They're not sorry they took the cookie, they're sorry they got caught, right, usually. Sometimes as adults we fall into that same trap, and that's the worldly saw, right? I'm sorry I got caught, but I'm not really sorry for what I did. Again, Paul's referring to believers here, and it's that heart work that God and Christ continually does in us. Verse 11, he's going to go on to explain a little bit more here. He says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what ignitation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of you, of the one who did the wrong nor on the account of the injured party, but rather that, because, that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted you are to us. By all this, we are encouraged. Paul's actually encouraged because he's seen them go through the process. Right? He's been able to witness... That process as they've worked through some difficult situations, right Kind of going back to that conflict, right? We have conflicts, we have conflicts in church. Sometimes the process produces fruit if it's done right. It's hard going through it, but on the back side of it, we see how God used that and worked it for his good. And so Paul's saying, "Hey, I' watched you struggle, I watched you go through this, yet on your account, you're cleared and you." I'm encouraged by that. In essence, he's saying, I'm seeing you grow as a church. And he's encouraged by that, as any good pastor would be. And because of that, there's some actions that come out of it. And these next couple of verses talk about it. it says, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. Paul had gotten a report. Titus had been there. He had been taken care of, but he had also been encouraged, right? Titus was an outsider. He was coming to them in need, and they took care of his needs. They took care of him, and they included him just like one of their own. Their actions followed their words. Right? They had been restored, and they didn't hold it against Titus because of their feelings for Paul is really what he's saying here right? Sometimes we, we fall into that trap, right? We're, we're mad at one person and we take it out on somebody else, right? Or, or at least take it out on the dog. No, just kidding. Not for abusing dogs. But we do sometimes, right? The cat people are laughing like, yeah, go ahead, the dog, we don't care. no. Right? But, but don't we do that sometimes? We, we, we blame or we want to blame somebody else. Or, and again, we're really mad at them, but we'll, we'll take it out on somebody else or something that we know that we can do. And um, I often caution dads when they come home from work, you got to be careful, right? You may have had a bad day at work, but you better not take it out on your wife or it'll not go well with you. Happy wife, happy life. A lot of you guys just got that. Some of you are chuckling, right? Ladies, they go injure that other person, just so you know, right? But we have to be careful, right? We have to be careful that we don't injure that other person. We have to be out of our, our anger for somebody else, right? We're taking it out on somebody else. We have to be, be careful of that. And so Paul is happy, happy here, but he's also encouraged. He's even delighted by the way they took care of Titus when he visited them. I better get going before I get in trouble here much more. Sure, I'm stepping on somebody's toes at this point. Verse 14, I had boasted to him about you, and you had not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. It's great that Paul had confidence and he was sure they would do a good job and and he cared, but there's probably always that hesitation are they really going to come through? Are they really going to do it? Are they going to receive Titus right? And so. Paul says, hey, you didn't embarrass me. You did a good job. As I mentioned, point way, you did a good job last week with the Picanados, and thank you for that. And Again, their words and their actions lined up. As believers, that, that's always uh, the goal, right? We say we're a follower of Christ, that our actions follow that as well. PJ mentioned in the missions, right? We get our hands dirty, we're servants. All that is part of it and much more verse 15 as we wrap this up for this morning here it says and his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient receiving him with fear and trembling i am glad i can have complete confidence in you The church gains another great teacher here, really, what happens, right? Titus is like, hey, they were a great bunch. I would go back there. I would gladly go back there. In fact, we know later on that Titus does make a visit back to them, right? He felt connected. It's one of the great things about the body of Christ, right? We can be connected even though sometimes we're apart and we don't see each other every week or even during the week, right? We can still come back together. We stay connected. And so Titus now has gained some more family is the thought or the picture here. And Paul says, hey, I told, I told you that was going to happen, right? But I'm sure Paul had some doubt, knowing the conflict that had arisen. But he's saying, hey, I am glad and I have confidence in you, right? You did it. You came through for my brother Titus. And so in all of this this morning, we can take a look back through this, and maybe there's some areas that we haven't taken off yet. Right? Starting in the beginning, we talked about setting apart. Maybe there's some things that we haven't shed yet, and we need to, to work on that. We maybe need to re examine some things. Or maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're you're struggling a little bit with that reconciliation, right? There's someone that you may have forgiven and, and the relationship is okay, but we're not quite we're not quite there yet. It may need a little bit more work. I need to walk a little bit longer in that, right? Maybe it's my heart that needs changing, right? So that reconciliation may be part of it. Or maybe it has, and maybe you're past that point, and you're at the point of, hey, now how do I put that into practice? What do I do now, right? How do I reach out? There's a bunch of kids walking outside. It's just kind of fun from here, in case you were wondering what I'm looking at every once in a while. It's catching my eye. They're all picking flowers in the back, so. Yeah, things that distract the pastor, But maybe it's in that care, right? How do you care for others? Right? We've been challenged this morning as far as being the hands and feet and getting our hands dirty, but how do we care for others? How do we treat those who come from the outside? Or how do we treat those who we've had difficulties with? It matters, right? It matters as we are representing Christ. And so hopefully you can find one of those threads and one of those things to pull through this week and... I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to do that work in you to to, to flush that out, to see where you put that into practice. And so I'm just going to pray for you right now this morning as we close this part of our service. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word and I thank you for the spirit that you put within us, Lord, to help us in those difficult things, Lord, in those times we have conflict, in those times that we are struggling with others. Lord, continue to do that work, continue to soften our hearts, towards reconciliation, Lord. Lord, I pray for each person that's here this morning, Lord, that you would just do that work within them. And Lord, out of reverence for you that we would represent you well in all that we do and all that we say. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're also going to take communion. If I could have a couple of, of elders come forward to help me with that serving. We weren't able to do communion last week yeah, with a missionary here. We thought it would be good to, to wait a little bit uh, to this week come together. For you that are visiting here today, we have an open communion table. And that what that means is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to the table. Uh, it's not a members-only thing. It's open to any believer, and so we want to welcome you with that. But here at Point Way, we do take it serious. And it that comes with a warning and so we like to take a few moments to, to read through that warning, but also to adhere to it. Scripture tells us, it so, says, so whenever you eat or drink of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And what we like to do here at Pointway is just take a few moments, right where you're at, just bow your head. Just between you and the Lord and just give you a few moments to make sure that you're in right relationship with Christ and that you recognize what we're about to do. And ask Tony if he'll give thanks for the cup and the bread and the, the juice and for what that represents. Father God, we thank you
1: that we can come before you because of your shed blood on the cross. We thank you that as we have relationship with you, you invite us into remembering what you did on that fateful night, Lord. Father, as we remember what you did, Lord, that this would remind us that we need to continue on going out and sharing what you did with other people, Lord. In your love, in your holy name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Taking the bread first, it says, For I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture goes on to say, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. and As we also are reminded this morning, there's still cups left and there's still seats empty next to you here this morning. And it's a reminder for us as believers that we need to share the good news, share what Christ has done in our lives with those around us. And so may we take that as a challenge this week to Share with someone this week the good news and of the new covenant that we have and that we partake of. Thank you.